Welcome into the three-year anniversary edition of the Corey Truax Show. It is going to be one heavy on theology, but certainly the consequences of theology on politics as well. We'll get started right now on the Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. Believe me, I am way more surprised than you are that I've not said anything in three years for the esteemed producer, the station manager. I am making up titles right now. I don't know what Gary Miller is at WLFJ, Christian Talk 660, but I am way more surprised than you that I've not said anything yet that didn't earn me a call, email, or text that says, hey, Corey, you should just stop doing your show. We're not going to want that anymore. Uh, So it's been three years. It's hard to believe, and as more podcasting has become available and I can quantify more easily the growth, I am encouraged by it, and let me say I am encouraged by you. Thank you to those who give feedback on the show. Wayne, how you do it regularly. Glenn, how you do it regularly. Daryl, how you do it regularly. Joy, how you do it regularly. And I can name more, more folks that write in regularly, respond in some way to what we're doing here, uh, that say it benefits you in some way. Genuinely. That means a ton to me, and thank you for that encouragement. And we certainly are hoping for uh, more and more growth as the third year of the Corey Truax Show. I guess that's coming to an end. 2015 was the first year, so uh, we're starting on a new one of the show. Uh, I'm trying to think about a way to do something live. You know, I was inspired, maybe is the word, uh, by a friend of mine here recently, Elizabeth, who hosted a conference. And it was successful. She did a great job. People came. She charged for tickets. People paid. Like, it was, it worked. And I started thinking about what we're doing at WLFJ, Christian Talk 660, with Dr. Beam and then uh, and Hannah and Josh. And I even think about Kevin Bowling, uh, who's on WLFJ. There's a lot of personalities here. And why not do something live? So I'm, I'm going to try to work on that over the uh, over this year to see what I might be able to what might be able to do, it's always good to get together uh, and see who's out there listening uh, and and who might want to get together to talk through some of these things. Because, you know, my, my show being what it is, you guys talk back, usually through the written word, but I would love to talk back in person. Uh, so we, we'll, we will be working on that coming up. All right, to the actual, oh yeah, before I do uh, the, the actual uh, the, the news of the day that I want to accomplish, I should mention this. My name is Corey Truax, securing the blessings of liberty since 1986, and I am the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church would love to see you there if, and only if, you aren't part of a church home already. If you are part of a church family, you should be there. Uh, but if you are not, you're welcome to Greenville High School in downtown Greenville any given Sunday morning. We meet at 1030, Greenville High School, for Beachwood Church. So... I got a message from a friend, Cody. Cody Fields, brilliant guy. He actually has a podcast himself uh, with his uh, with his comp- his company who makes guitar accessories. I think pedals primarily. Uh, even though I was in a band, I I don't know all of how all this stuff works. But uh, Cody Fields out there, you should go find him. I think it's Westminster Ca- uh, Westminster. I must said Catechism uh, is the name of his company. And even he he sent me a joke to me, but he's making a theological point. That's an important one. And it has to do with the, that tragedy of wildfires we've seen out in California. That it's in the area of a very prominent church called Bethel Church. And Bethel is one of those really charismatic, very Pentecostal, word-faith churches. So they're the ones that bind cancer, and they bind diabetes, and they 
They, they cast out demons. It's this group. And this wildfire is wrecking their town and wrecking many of their homes and their own their own belongings. And Cody made a very good point. Why isn't Bethel out there binding the fire? Why isn't Bethel calling down rain like they say they do so often? He makes a very good point. It's funny, somewhat tragic, but it, it fed into something that was already going on in my brain that I thought I wanted to do a big chunk of a show on. And that is where we are with how fast Pentecostalism is growing, the, the nature of what the Holy Spirit is and the things that you see on TV, whether or not they're biblical, th- th- even that language about binding things. And so Cody made a good point, and it just led into some other things going on in Christianity right now. For example, there is some more controversy surrounding my favorite preacher. The, the, he's a pastor of the Village Church in Dallas. I mean, my big brother, Doug Truax Jr., he's the best. Uh, but after Doug... Give me Matt Chandler on anything. That guy is a brilliantly clear communicator. And he recently did a couple sermons going through 1 Corinthians. I believe that's 9, 10, and 11. Could be 10, 11, 12. That folks like me get nervous about. So when you start talking about prophecy, you start talking about tongues. It's the places in which Pentecostals and Charismatics are super comfortable. And people like me are a little, a little weird about those passages and don't know what to do with them sometimes. And so he, there's some controversy surrounding there about whether or not this very prominent pastor who's in the Southern Baptist Convention is uh, lend, lending himself toward a more charismatic position. I'm going to give you some definitions on all this here in just a moment. Charismatic, like that word, like charismatic. And it that comes in a context internationally, not just nationally, where it's just true the only sort of Christianity that's seeing appreciable growth is that subset, the Pentecostal Church of God, Assemblies of God, like that's what's growing. And it's growing like wildfire in Africa and in South America. And even here in the States, that's the one part of Christianity that really is seeing growth. And so where you get this idea of why is Bethel Church so popular out there in California and why aren't they being consistent out there binding the wildfire and this controversy around Matt Chandler and, and seeing how Pentecostalism is growing. And then even in a context of recently a discussion I had on the the role of emotion in your Christian life and how I'm a really, uh, I'm, I'm a knowledge guy. The things that I know charge me to worship. The things that I know is what makes me want to move on and do ministry and do things. Not how I feel, it's what I know. And having a discussion with somebody that said, well, you know, there's, we are emotional people. God gave us emotions. Emotions aren't bad. And that person was right. And so in all of those different inputs, I've been thinking through this conversation. And so, here on the third anniversary of the Corey Truax Show, what I want to do is give you something I have given you before. I gave it to you in year one of the show, but let's just pretend that you don't remember everything I say. Let's just, let's just pretend that's not the case. And I will revisit this, because I think it will be instructive. I'm about to give you four distinctions. Four distinctions. If you are not driving, maybe you would... Pull out a pad of paper or open the notepad app on your phone and take notes on this. There's four distinctions I want to give you that are important theologically. None of the four positions I'm going to give you uh, where the disagreement exists would it disqualify someone from being in the faith. So I'm not, I'm not about to give you four topics that mean if you, if you land on a different place than me, I'm not calling you a heretic. I'm not calling your salvation into question. You should not do that to me either that the churches that hold to these four positions differently, I am not telling you that... But what? Let me, say, let me tell you what I am telling you. 
we're all in the faith together, okay? We can all be nice. We just have disagreements on these four issues. But I would say, on these four topics I'm about to give you, I think it would be hard, it would be difficult, not impossible, but hard to be in a church locally with people who think differently about these things. I think it's likely a necessity for a church to have unity and to be effective. They're going to need, we in a church body are going to need clarity and unity on these four topics. So, here we go. This is going to lead us right back to that question of what do we do with all this charismatic stuff that's going around. So first, I think it's hard for a church to be unified with one another if they disagree on the Arminian versus Reformed question. So this is the nature of salvation. Is your salvation initiated and completed by God, out of His grace, by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone? Or did you play some role? Did you initiate or did you respond in some way? Did you play a role in your own salvation? Both positions are in the faith. Not calling anybody not a Christian. It's just hard to work inside of a church if there's a big disagreement on that. The believers in a given church being unified on that is very helpful. I think it's important for every given local church to agree on this question. It's called egalitarianism versus complementarianism. What is the role of men and women in the household and in the church? Are men and women in every single way equal, or are they distinct? Egalitarians say men and women have the exact same roles in the household and in the church. And the complementarian, that's me, that's Beachwood Church, we would say that men and women are equal in honor, but they do have distinct roles. That there are things women do, there are things men do, that's, that, and the Bible gives us those. Both positions are in the faith, but if you are going to be in a church together, it's very important that everyone agree, or almost everybody agree, that this is, and you do have to agree as a church that this is how we're going to operate when it comes to egalitarianism and complementarianism. So there's the Reformed versus Arminian question. There's the egalitarian versus complementarian question. It is also important to decide as a church if you are going to be a regulative principle of worship or normative principle of worship church. Here's the difference. At Beachwood Church, we are regulative principle of worship. So, in church, when we organize our worship together, we are regulative. Only what the Bible records New Testament church is doing are we going to do. So we're going to pray together. There's going to be the Lord's Supper. There's going to be baptisms. We pray. There's going to be the preaching of the Word. There's going to be offerings. There's going to be uh, certain prayers, uh, open confessions, confessing the Word to one another. That just means public readings. But when someone brings up, hey, I'd like to do this in church, this is what I want to have as part of the worship service, if it's not shown in the New Testament has having happened, we won't do that. And then there's the normative principle of worship that says you should be able to do what's effective. So here's just one example. In an actual worship service, doing a skit, a play, a dance, well, I don't have any of those things in the New Testament church during the worship service. That does not mean that skits and plays and dances are unbiblical or they're not Christian. I am saying when we organize our church service, we are we going to do things that we think might be effective? or uh, what, what, are, what are the questions we're asking ourselves? And sometimes this gets called the regulative versus missional topic. When we set up our service, are we looking to appeal to the unbeliever or are we looking to build up the believer. What's the church service for? That hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes we spend together, who's it for? Is it for the unbeliever or the believer? 
for us in the regulative world, we believe it's for the believer. We don't make decisions and set up our systems for the unbeliever, and we are very careful about how the God of the universe wants to be worshipped. What's he told us that he wants? What does the Bible give us as examples when New Testament churches got together? We want to do just those things. Those who are missional or normative and they do other things in church, I couldn't be a part of those churches. I'm not calling them heretics, though. And then that final one is the one we're going to talk about today. Are you a cessationist church or are you a charismatic church or a continuationist church? Charismatic, continuationist, thinking that all the stuff you see in the New Testament is still happening today. A cessationist church saying that those, those gifts and signs and miracles were for a given time. I'm going to flesh this out some more, sort of to build on it into some other conversations that it has consequences on. We'll do that when we return on the Corey True Action. Welcome into the third year anniversary, three-year anniversary of the Corey Act Show. If you have not in these first three years, you should today connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Look for me, Corey Act. You will find me there. And get the show on demand any time you want it at CoreyTruax.com, SoundCloud.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, lots of places to listen. Hope you will. And share it with others. Review the show, like the show, where you find it. It is always appreciated when you do. Now... I'm giving you this theology grid, as I like to think of it. None of these positions are outside of orthodoxy, not calling anybody a heretic. But I am saying that to be in a church body together, it's helpful to agree on these core things, these four things. Another reason I'm giving these to you is I think we in the Christian community, who are also political people like me, we know what we believe on everything. And we have thoughts on like every topic. And if we are a Christian, we need to have positions on these topics too. Let me say it this way. If you are really well-versed in what you think about minimum wage or whether or not NFL players should stand for the national anthem, and you are not well-versed on your position on what the role of men and women are in the church and in the home, that's a problem. You spent too, too much time on politics. You put too much effort there. You've not extended enough effort into your theological thinking and theological training because that's not just for pastors and elders and deacons and those folks. That is for everybody. All of us need to be working on those things. So here are those four things, and then we're going to spend time on the fourth one. So if you're going to be in a church together, it's helpful to have people that mostly agree on how we're saved, if it's monergistic, one person working, or synergistic, two, two people working. So that's Reformed versus Arminian on how we come to salvation. It's, it's really helpful if we agree on egalitarianism, that men and women have the exact same role in everything, versus complementarianism, that we believe that men and women are equal in honor, but they have different roles. It is helpful for a church to agree on whether or not they're going to use the regula- regulative, regulative, principle of worship, we're only going to do the things in here, as we meet together on Sundays, we're only going to do the things we find in the Bible versus the normative people. We can do lots of things. As long as the Bible doesn't say we can't do it, then we can do it, right? So that is the the big, big three. Here's that fourth one. Are we a church that is cessationist or continuist? Or you can use charismatic there if you want. Some definitions. Cessationists are people like John MacArthur. Todd Friel is a cessationist. I tend that way, although I don't think they would qualify me as a true cessationist. Here's what cessationist means. 
a cessationist would argue that we don't see signs and wonders. We don't see miracles. We don't see the healings. We don't see the the crazy stuff you see in the New Testament. We don't see that anymore. They do not happen on this earth. And it's because the reason signs and wonders, miracles, were given in the New Testament were for verification. So God would give Paul, Peter, Matthew, Luke, he would give these miracles so that the people around could have verification, this is supernatural. And so the, the, the things they are saying, they are speaking for God because God has given them, given them supernatural gifts. And since the age of the apostles went away, the apostle, that last apostle died, whoever that last apostle was, let's go with John, probably was John, the last apostle. That means all of the Bible had been written. And the way that we verify whether or not someone is from God now is whether or not they match what the apostles wrote. So the apostles wrote things down in the Bible, and that's how we're going to verify you now. You don't need signs and wonders and miracles to verify you. We're just going to verify you by whether or not your teaching matches what the apostles did. That is the cessationist view, and so God used signs, wonders, and miracles to verify, and that is not relevant anymore. The continuationist would say, that God is working the exact same way now as he was then. He's not changed. Uh, I shouldn't say it that way. Uh, His methods, what he reveals has not changed. God is still doing the miraculous all the time. We should be asking for it and praying for the miraculous at all times. That is going to be Matt Chandler, without a doubt, I think is in this camp. Somewhat John Piper, I think, is, is around here, if you're trying to connect it. But if we try to do this denominationally, like Presbyterians, mostly cessationists. None of that none of that Holy Ghost calling down fire stuff for the Presbyterians. The Pentecostals and the Church of God, Assemblies of God people, the Charismatics, they are all about this stuff. That is why their church services are the way they are, and their TV networks are the way they are, and their language is the way it is. And you have us, the Baptists, a lot of disagreement inside the Baptists on this topic. Now, here is why you should develop an, uh, an opinion on it. The Charismatics and the Continuationists, they're the only part of Christianity that's growing. They're all over Africa. They're all, all over Latin America. And they're maybe this is most important, they are all over your TV. They are the most influential people in Christianity. They are everywhere on TV and social media. They, they're out there. And some of the excesses, that's a very important word, the excesses of that camp theologically can be troubling and harmful to others. I will give you some examples. So one is the Bethel Church people, that they do the madness of the some of the gibberish that comes out of there and the language they use about binding the elements and commanding God to do things in regards to natural law, healings, the way they bind cancer, the way they fake healings all the time. Well, this guy's leg was shorter. Look, it's his leg's longer. So they, they do nothing that is verifiably miraculous, but they talk about the miraculous all the time. They use the parlor tricks. They get on stage, and and it's uh, Molly, Molly. Is there a Molly in the room? Mary. It's, oh, it's Mary. Okay, yeah, there's a Mary in the room. Uh, and God's giving me a word. He, they do that stuff. It diminishes the authority of the Bible as the one place we get God's word that he's not giving people special words, but it's also been abusive in some ways. I think uh, abusive in a way that they don't they didn't mean for it to be. Like, 
we have a, a guy in our church that I, oh man, Lord, give me the patience and strength you've given him. He has been battling cancer all throughout his abdomen. I can't even remember what or- organ it started in at this point. And I believe he had some folks in his life telling him, well, you know, this would get healed if you would just have more faith. you got to have more faith. If you would just have more faith and pray, pray it away, then it would go away. You know what pressure that, and false doctrine that is first, but the pressure that puts on a, somebody, that puts on somebody? This is even easy to refute. Here's Paul, I believe in 1 Corinthians, maybe 2 Corinthians, saying, I prayed three times. I went to the Lord in, in fasting and prayer three times to have this, this thorn in my flesh removed from me, and he didn't do it. Let me ask you this question, guys. Do any of you think you have more faith than Paul? Paul had enough faith to heal himself if it could be done. Paul was one of the apostles. He was healing people. There, we went through a period of time where folks were, gra- like, his handkerchief was healing people. That was not the point of, of the, the, the point of the, Paul's miracles was to verify himself. It wasn't a lack of faith that God didn't heal him. It was that God had some kind of purpose for that thorn in the flesh. And so some of these teachings are just hurt, hurtful to people. And it should cause us to think through these things. Like, let's go back to the Bethel point. Bethel Church out in California is seeing, rav- seeing these things ravaged. Why don't you go stop it? You talk about your supernatural power all the time. Why don't you go do it? This is the question of Benny Hinn. Why aren't you healing people in hospitals? Why aren't you spending time where the in a children's hospital doing what you do? If it's just all about your faith power. There are harmful things coming out of that theology, but I do want to say this. It's ex- excesses. Very important word. Excesses. It's not your typical person, but it is all the folks in that movement that are typically on TV and radio. One key point here, and then I'm going to move to one of the consequences of this. Key point, the issue this affects is called sufficiency. It becomes a question of the sufficiency of Scripture. For the cessationist, which I'm not totally a cessationist, but for the cessationist, they would argue, the Bible is sufficient. We don't need your special word from God. I already have all the words from God that I need. They're in the 66 books of this Bible. We don't need your impression or your inkling because it's not Scripture. Whatever you think the Lord told you to say, don't need it. I got the Bible. And so one of the consequences of that theology that... Uh, of this, the of how they are talking about the Holy Spirit is it diminishes the authority, the necessity. Big word here: sufficiency that the Bible is enough. Where the cessationists would stand and say, the, "That's that's where we are. The Bible's enough. It doesn't need any of your help." Now, to a consequence of that, the, uh, the in this continuationist versus cessationist debate. One of the consequences of the excesses of continuationism is a willingness to use your emotion, to use your instincts, even to use flawed human logic instead of going to the core of the Bible. And so, here's some examples of that. This is from Charismatic TV. I had a friend send me some links, troubled by them, and I was too. Some things being said out there on Christian TV and I want to play for you, play them for you, not as talking about the people, not as talking about the event that they're saying, but getting to that core idea. What led them here? Well, what led them here was this 
continuationist view that says there are, there are things happening in the world or maybe in your own brain that you can count on as much as you can count on the Bible. It's a dangerous thing, and this is going to get political, okay? This is one of the things that got us the president, and so I want to play them for you so that we can get a consequence here, but my point here, boy, believe this, my point here is not political. I am not worried about this political system that's going to fall apart any day now. Probably won't make it through my lifetime. I'm not worried about all that. I'm worried about, I'm worried about eternity and getting our eternal theology and thinking right. So let me give you these two examples. The first comes from some guy running for, Scott Lively, that's his name, running for governor in Massachusetts. I have the audio. It is horrendous. Pulled it off of YouTube. Someone was taking the audio, like a video with their phone, and it's they were too far away. So I just have to read to you the things he said from a story. Uh, here's some of what he said. Lively claimed that he had received spiritual confirmation that President Trump has been transformed into a man of God. Right, so more important than the Trump man of God thing, which is, of course, absurd, is spiritual confirmation. What's that mean? Where's that come from? So that's that's the bigger problem. You know where I, where I get confirmation, where the, the folks that are, uh, the, I think, more theologically sound, they get confirmation in the Bible. We find measurements in the Bible for what's good, what's bad, what's spiritual, what's not. And then we just go to the Bible for authority. That's where we find things. We don't get spiritual confirmations, but that is the language that the excesses in charismaticism or the excesses in continuationism have their trouble is they think they're still getting words from God. He says also that he, he called him God's man. I want to get into that language a little bit more with another clip on what that might mean. This is somewhat about the president because part of what part of what I am trying to fix is a conversation I had online with somebody that, that was uh, despondent about the country and the, the direction in which we're heading. And it occurs to me that I, I think we skip steps. Like, we, we can't rescue the country, save the country. we, we got to start from scratch. we got to fix people. And the thing most wrong with people right now is their thinking, and especially in the Christian community, we got a lot of bad theology. And one of the consequences of that continues, continuationism, cessationism debate is this bad theology that God's just still telling you stuff? When your emo- your emotions tell you a thing, you should go ahead and trust. You should go ahead and trust that, and you often shouldn't. You- no one lies to you more than you lie to you. Your emotions are not a good barometer of that which is true, but the Bible is. And so, this is not about the president totally. I think this is one of the consequences that's happened in Christianity. But I am more talking about trying to get our theology straight on how how we view the Bible and how we view. These char- this charismatic movement that is the only part of Christianity that's growing. All right, so that God's man thought. right Here is more. This is from another charismatic TV station. And a woman speaking here. I can't remember her name right now. Not that Donald Trump is all that perfect of a guy. We all know he's not. And we know that it's he's not necessarily perfect in every way that we would like. That's not that's not how God works. He works through the ones he chooses. Right. We don't choose them. No. All we have to do is recognize them. Yeah. And when you recognize a chosen one mm-hmm. and you have the discernment to know You know what I got to go back. I'm going to go back 15 seconds. I got one thing I want to respond to there. Here's more of her. 
that's not that's not how God works. He works through the ones he chooses. All right, so that's true. I want you to grab onto that. God works through the ones he chooses. I have a point to make on that at the end of this clip. I would also just meant, uh, say to her, oh, by the way, in a constitutional republic, you do some choosing too. For the record, you have that uh, you have that agency to do so. We don't choose them. No. All we have to do is recognize them. Yeah. And when you recognize a chosen one, mm-hmm. and you have the discernment to know that they've been yeah. chosen and know that that's the will of God, then your life will be blessed. Yes. And if you come against the chosen one of God. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to find out. So what happens if you come against the chosen one? What happens if you go against this president? Okay. You are bringing upon you and your children and your children's children curses like you have never seen. That's right. It puts a holy fear in me. Oh, that's just, okay, that's terrifying. Oh, so there's judgment of God coming on those who would not excuse everything about this president. Now, I'm going to fix the theology on this, but I need you just to get the inconsistency of the language as well. You know, and they're we, picking the flaws out of this man that God has chosen. Right. And you don't look for a perfect person. There. You look for the one God's chosen. Okay, and then there was a little graphic there at the end that gave us that sound. Okay, here's how I know they've got their theology wrong. Not a... I may, I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to calm it, calm it down for a sec. I would love to have seen their social media feeds from January 20th, 2009 up until January 20th, 2017 for the eight years that Barack Obama was president. Did you say the same things? Or, madam, did you bring judgment upon yourself to your children and your grandchildren for having criticized God's chosen? Because let's get our theology straight. The theology of sovereignty. The theology of providence. What you're being ruled here is by your emotions. You're not being ruled by the word of God. Here's what the Bible would tell you. That, yeah, God chooses all leaders. So is Donald Trump God's man in that way? Is Donald Trump the man of God, that God chose him and has led the events of human history for him to be president for some amount of time? Absolutely yes. And I know that not because I feel that way. I know that because the Bible says it, that God directs the affairs of mankind. That he is, he is not far away. He's not the watchmaker God. He did not wind us up and leave us be. He's still involved. But do you know what that also means, madam? It means Barack Obama was the exact same way. It means George W. Bush was the exact same thing. That Bill Clinton was the exact same thing. And George H. Dub and Reagan and Carter and Ford and Nixon and keep going back. Have your theology be consistent. And here's why it's not. Because it's in a theological system that's that's most of the, the channels out there. That theological system is being guided by your feelings and not by the Bible. And I know what that stage would have looked like. There's a bunch of people on stage on that video clip that she was talking on. And you heard that one guy come in and say, you know, they are they're picking the flaws out of out of God's chosen. You know who we were picking flaws out of for eight years? Righteously? Barack Obama. We did that. Because he had character flaws. Because he did bad things. He did wrong things. He did things. He had policy. He had positions. 
He said things that was not for the best of human flourishing, didn't do the best for the most people. And you are all okay with criticizing then. You're not okay with criticizing now because you're being ruled by your emotions and not by the consistent word of God. And that's the point I'm trying to get to. You, the folks who are charismatic, those who are continuationists, those that are inconsistent in their application of biblical concepts, they're, they're, that's what this woman is. She is mis- She's inconsistent in her application of the ideas of sovereignty and providence because if she were consistent, she'd have to recognize that God's not like her, God doesn't think like her, and God's not going to be her way. And so it is important as this charismatic group grows that we are ready to at least have conversations where we do emphasize. Where do we find truth? The Bible. Not your feelings, not your emotions, not your inklings, not your impressions, not your thoughts. The way we find truth is we go to Scripture and we stand on that with authority and without apology. We'll be back for the final segment of the three-year anniversary edition of the Corey Truax Show in just a moment. All right, I don't want to ruin your day or ruin this three-year anniversary of the show, but I have to share with you some audio that is uh, disheartening. Is that the word I'm going to use for this? Uh, Campus Reform, which is a group that goes out and does a lot of videos talking with people, man-on-the-street stuff. They went to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, her district there in New York City, to ask the people who presumably voted for her, how are you going to pay for all this? You know, She calls herself a democratic socialist, the uh, how, how do you think we can actually afford all these things? What do you think the government should pay for? Uh, and it was a disheartening view because it's a lot of young people, people my age, not that I'm all that young, but people in their 20s and 30s, and it's just clear, a lot of stupidity out there. So I want to finish off the serious part of the show with this video. If you don't know, you're listening to the Corey Truax Show. Thank you for sticking with us for the final segment of the three-year anniversary edition. Here we go with campus reform. I'm starting about a minute into their video. What do you think the government should be subsidizing? Um, so her platform includes um, free health care, college tuition, minimum living wage, housing as a human right. Are those things that you think the government should be providing for people? Absolutely. How on earth do you think that? You No. You provide for your... You, is there any personal responsibility anymore? Does anyone actually believe that you should have to provide fundamental things for yourself? And what does the government mean? Well, that means other people should provide for me. There should be something in us that says, I, I want to provide for myself. I want independence. There seems to be a great deal of desire for independence amongst young people for their own behavior to do what they want, but they also don't want to pay the consequences, and they want other people to pay for the fundamentals I don't know how you hear that list of things and say, yeah, the government should pay for all that stuff. Things that you would support. Yes, it is. Are those all things that you would support the government subsidizing? 100%. I feel like everyone should have like um, free um, education and health care. How are we going to pay for those? Oh, God. I mean. Oh, see? Oh, how are we going to pay for it? Yeah, the government should pay for all that stuff. Well, how are we going to pay for it? I can't wait to find out. Us. Us, you I know, guess. Yeah. Who, in your mind, should pay for all of the free things? All of the free things? Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. But <laughs> oh, those first two people were at least honest. Well, us. Like, we should have to pay for it. Like, just have to pay for it collectively. But that girl. Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. Honey. Darling. Where do you think the government gets their money? 
that I'm, am I hurting you? Am I hurting your head? It's taxes. Taxes and the government are the same thing. Government is funded by taxes. Yeah. I don't know where the money would come from, but they can figure it out. Okay. <laughs> More taxes on the rich people. Yeah, for sure, man. Like they can afford it. Tax oh boy. So this guy. Well, let's do it. Well, how will we afford it? I don't know. They'll figure it out. Right. You need to take some responsibility for your own position. You need to know why you think a thing. It's very frustrating when people don't know why they think what they think. And then so the interviewer guy, well, yeah, tax the rich people. No, they don't have it. I think I've given you the stat here recently. You can take every dollar earned past a million, and it does not pay for what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and their ilk have proposed. The money literally doesn't exist. At least Bernie Sanders will be honest and say, we're going to have to tax everybody more, including the middle class. Corporations, let's tax the 1% and find a way to support a living wage. The people with a good idea and a good reason to spend their tax money wouldn't mind actually paying more taxes. There are so many of these countries out there that are employing a lot more socialism in their government and into their politics, and they're doing really well. So, Is Venezuela doing that? Really quick, before we get to Venezuela, are they doing well? Who are you talking about? And are they doing as well as us, measured by the things that make life comfortable? When you measure life by who owns a car and who doesn't, who has air conditioning and who doesn't, who has heat and who doesn't, who has automatic dishwashers and washers and dryers in their own home, who has the most square footage, when you measure all of that, you know who has more of that? We do. The places without socialism. I don't know what your measurement of, they're doing better, they're doing well. I know this. It is better to be a lower-class, lower-earning American than it is to be a middle-to-upper-middle-class in most of Europe. It is awesome to be here where we have more capitalism. Ooh, I don't know too much about Venezuela, honey. Then why would you have an opinion about socialism? Everywhere it's been tried, it's failed miserably. Everywhere it's been tried, human beings have suffered terribly. And you don't know... So you have a position. You know you like socialism, but you don't know anything about Venezuela? I think they need to... I mean, are they still communists right now? So like, there's technically socialists. Okay, okay. Look at other countries. It works. Like other countries, you pay higher taxes, but your government takes care of you. I do like this woman. She has been the most informed of this group. You do. At least she says, yes, you pay higher taxes. Not just the 1%, not just corporations, not just rich people. You pay higher taxes, and then she says the government takes care of you. Well, no, you, you're taking care of you along with everybody else. But again, when you say you pay higher taxes, in like the Norways, the Denmarks, the Swedens, we're talking 40% tax rates for middle income earners and a lower, a lower standard of living. They have less than we do overall. So when you see the social system failing in Venezuela, does that concern you? I mean, yeah. obviously. Yes. <laughs> My family's Cuban and like I've seen the downfall of like extreme leftism. But also, like, I see how it, like, boosts the community and, like, it has its up and downs. And I think we can definitely learn from history okay. on that terms. Okay. Our country needs change. And if it has to be on the opposite side, on the extreme polar opposite side, maybe it's what we need. Privatized health care is a huge issue. And if it was a government-funded thing, that would be, you know, when there aren't... Do you think the government would run it more efficiently? Before I let this guy answer, a couple things. One, going back to one lady who talked about how... It would build the community to be socialist. This is one of those things we've got to recognize. I think younger people generally, but certainly this ideology cares about the community more than the individual. 
Uh, and we have been excellent as a people because we have been individualists, not communalists. Individualism has is one of the major major reasons we are who we are. Uh, but second, to this guy who says, you know, well, the, the healthcare is privatized. Well, not really. I mean, you get the Medicare and Medicaid are the two biggest pieces of the healthcare system, and you get into the one part of healthcare that actually is totally socialized, veterans affairs. It's a disaster. The, the idea that we have privatized healthcare is insane. We don't have privatized healthcare. Government is everywhere in it. But we'll let this guy answer. In a perfect world, sure. I'm liberal. I don't know exactly like where I'd stand, but I know like democratic socialism is better than conservative. It's just better than it's the better option. In what way? Um, I, when I think of it, I just think of like more open-minded people, people that aren't like as economically conserved. Wow, that's the same girl who said, well, taxes should pay for it, but also the government. Oh, boy. Folks, we have a lot of work to do. We will leave the serious part there and move on to sports. Are you ready? Welcome into this week's Sports Wrap. That is with our sports correspondent. His name is Heath Powell. Hello there, sir. Hello. We are now coming up on the season, so we want to start doing the college football season. That's what right. I should have said. No, you said the season, so you, we know what you mean. I know what it means for you <laughs> and most of South Carolinians, right? But I'm the NFL guy. Uh, but as college football goes, I want to start going through the conference projections. Right. Last year, the Pac-12, which has 10 teams, I believe it was Southern California that won it. Yep. I'm picking them to repeat. Or do you think Stanford or someone else challenges them? Was it Stanford? Or was it USC or Washington? Last year? Yeah. Washington. Well, the only reason I say this is because I think Washington may win it again. Okay. Uh, they lost a couple key pieces, you know, in the skill positions. But I, I don't think you can ever count USC out, really. No. Just because of where they are and how they recruit. Sam Darnold being gone, I guess, is significant. Right, that's a big loss. But there was enough talent. And at some level, am I a jerk for saying who cares who wins the Pac-12? Not really, with 10 teams. <laughs> First, they can't count. <laughs> that's one. But nationally, it's an irrelevant conference. It really is, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, their West Coast. You're right. You know, the big markets on the East Coast for, for this type of football. Um, so... You know, 10.30, and a lot of people aren't staying up to watch these teams, so there's not a lot of conversation about it. Um, I watch them, but that's just me. Yeah, the, the cities out there, San Francisco is not exactly producing a lot of college football fans. <laughs> right. right, they're not yeah, watching that's this. basketball-centric. Yes. Uh, okay, so then we go to the Big 12, bringing it towards the, the middle of the country. Uh, last year, obviously, it was Oklahoma. Uh, my, not dark horse, I'm, just, I'm bold about it. I think West Virginia might have the best quarterback in the country. And yeah, I, I think West Virginia's going to take it. Me too. Yeah, I, I think they score a ton of points, too. Yeah, they're going to. Again, and a lot of that is their offense, and a lot of that is the conference they play in. Yeah, I almost as soon as I said it, I felt redundant. Like, oh, the Big 12 champ's going to score a lot of <laughs> points? Just call it the Big 12 champ. Right. And is his name Will Greer? It is. Okay. I think he's an NFL player, man. Yeah, he, he looks good. I like this kid. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fun for, for West Virginia. Um, and if anyone challenges them, I guess it, it could be Oklahoma still. But Texas is continuing to move along. It could. Quite fine. Texas, you know, they're rebuilding, and they still have a couple years to go, I think. Um, I think Oklahoma's – Done. Um, I don't mean done like forever. I just mean I don't think they'll be relevant this year. Well, typically in college football teams, it goes in cycles. Yep. Right? And so they're about to be in a down cycle, I right. suspect. That's how that's going to work. Okay. Uh, so then we move on to the Big Ten last year. Was it Ohio State? It was. It usually is. No, it was Penn State. It was Penn State. Yeah. Right. With Saquon Barkley. Yep. Uh, but they lost 
that transformational <laughs> yeah, player. They did. Saquon's incredible. Right. I got to go back to Urban Meyer in Ohio State as a Big Ten champ. Yeah, I'm going Ohio State until Michigan can beat Michigan State and Ohio State. I'm not picking them for anything. Um, you know, he had he had more hype than any coach coming into a college program that I've ever seen. Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. yeah. Man, have they not lived up to their expectations thus far? Are they zero and three or zero and four against Ohio State? I think they're one and five. Wow! In the that's not in good. the past six years. That is not um, good enough. That's not good. I think they may be one and four or one and five against Michigan State. Yeah, it's you, ugly. You're talking about media hype, no doubt. I thought Michigan was about to be number one team every week type oh, situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the the one little, I mean, their best season. I think they lost a. Bowl game to South Carolina. Yeah, they did. That was probably their best season. Yep. Uh, their, that defense was incredible. Yeah, I'm going Ohio State. Ohio State in the Big Ten. In the SEC, is there anyone in contention other than Alabama and Georgia? No, I think that's it. So LSU is not a challenge. Uh, South Carolina is no, no, like a listen, challenge in the East. Orgeron's getting fired after this season. I'll be surprised if LSU wins five games. Ooh, I I'm like it. I'm telling you. Okay. It's going to get ugly in Baton Rouge. He, he probably shouldn't have been that coach anyway. Probably not, but he's yeah. a he's a – you know, an LSU, Southern Louisiana guy, you know, he, he can recruit, but it's just not translating well. I started to look through the SEC list of teams because I really wanted there to be. I yeah. want there to be drama. Right. I want there to be – I started thinking, well, may, maybe Tennessee or South Carolina can challenge Georgia. And I just look, look at those rosters and I just go, nope. I, I guess not. <laughs> you know, so but the good thing about Georgia, though, at least there's a team in the East that can play with Alabama in the West. Yes. At least it's just not Alabama in the West and it's over. Mm-hmm. It used to be you got served up as a sacrifice to the god of Alabama. That's right. But I'm telling you, Georgia would have would have won the national championship 35 to nothing if Tagovailoa had not gone in that game. Yes, and he still made some mistakes, but he's that good. Where he, you know, even when he comes off the field, puts his arm around Saban and apologizes, and he goes out and yep. he has no memory of that. So he transformed that offense quickly. Um, that- and his brother is going there. He committed already. Very cool. All the way from I just, uh, yeah, but I don't understand these guys going to Alabama. Where they can't use their potential. Yeah, they get twenty-five to thirty throws a game. Most Saban wants the quarterback to hand the ball off mm-hmm. to one of the six-four, two hundred and fifty-pound running backs and throw if you have to. Sure, and I, I get why. Yeah, I get why. I do, but I don't understand quarterbacks with this talent, arm talent, and all this stuff going to Alabama unless they just really want to win a national championship. Yes. And I don't blame anybody for that. I would if I if I'm a coach recruiting against Alabama of a quarterback. I, I am just laying out. Over a season, you probably are going to throw the ball 200 more times yeah. than you will with them, if not more than 200 more times. Right. Because we actually want to open up the yeah, offense. Yeah, if you want to showcase your talent, your arm talent, your as a quarterback, Alabama's not the place for you to go. No, nah, they don't. You, you get your couple shots, but it's only a few. Even their passing game is very short. It is. But even if you go back and watch the championship last year, Tagovailoa, you know, busted plays. He's scrambling. He makes a play. Yeah. Nick Saban absolutely is losing his mind hates on the that. sideline. Yep. He hates it. He wants you to stick to the script. But, you know, Tua is awesome, and he, he made is. plays, mm-hmm. you know. So, he's, there wasn't much Saban can say about it. He's, he's fun to watch during that, that second half and overtime. Um, th- then we go to the – oh, actually, I have one more thought on that. We're going to know early – if that South Carolina-Georgia thing can materialize, because I think it's week two right. that they play. They usually play so much later. I, I love that, yeah. getting it done early. I think it's going to be ugly. That, I don't. I think South Carolina's going to hang with them. I yeah. do. I think it's going to be a close I, one. I, let me rephrase. I think that South Carolina will hang with them in the first half. I think it's going to be ugly in the second half. Pull away. Just because of the talent. Their talent is still very disparate. Right. Uh, to the ACC, I don't think there's a cha- I don't think Virginia Tech or Miami challenges Clemson. No. And I don't think Florida State's 
going to be anything close to what it was. No, Florida State is – they'd be lucky to win six games this year. NC State was a close challenger somewhat last year. Right. But they've sent a lot of guys to the NFL mm-hmm. this time. I think it's an easy – Clemson is the favorite. Yeah, it should be a very simple path to the playoff. Depending on who you play, it should be not much to get to the national championship. No, don't get me wrong. You have to win, and you oh, have yeah. to play at a high level every week. The other division, is it just Virginia Tech and Miami – or can you see a, a Georgia Tech? Can you see somebody else competing in that ACC? It's definitely not Georgia Tech. Okay. It's yep. just not. The triple option, man. You're gonna, gonna Yeah, but <laughs> if anybody the last four years has watched Venables, there's the perfect blueprint to shut down that offense. Yeah, just do what they did. Just do what they – now, Clemson has a lot of talent on defense. Yeah. I get it. But if you just scheme the same way, you're going to prevent a lot of those busted plays, you know, 60-yard plays for yeah. touchdowns. Um, I, you know – I don't think it's Miami. I think last year Miami was a fluke. I think those gimmicks like the turnover chain, I think that gets into the other team's mind, and that causes a lot of turnovers. I think that's done. I, you know, I think that was a one year. And plus when they get into playing teams that are better than they are, mm-hmm. you saw what happened to Miami at the end. I did, last couple of games. That's right. Virginia Tech then? Is it- yeah, I'm going to have to go with Virginia Tech just because there's no one else. Then in our last 45 seconds here, the team that is not in a conference that everyone has to talk about every year, Hey, is Notre Dame going to make a run at it? You think they're going to be relevant this year? I don't. Uh, I, 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 last time I checked, I think I had them win seven or eight games. Okay. we can. That's we'll, just where they are for me. We'll end up doing some of those win counts. Yeah, the over-unders. Yeah, because we have uh, four, three or four weeks till this thing starts. Yep. 33 uh, days, Corey. Wow. That's incredible. That is coming up really quick. Yeah, it's, it's fast. Congratulations, everybody. You made it to football season. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, we'll spend five minutes at some point on some NFL predictions as well. Yeah, that, maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm not anti-NFL. I'm just super pro-college. And, uh, yeah, you don't have to hate on one to not like the right. other. Yeah. All right, thanks for coming in and talking sports. No, I appreciate it. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week at the show on demand at CoreyTruax.com, SoundCloud, Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all those places. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.